Morning, everybody. So great to see you here today, and welcome to our um, on live streaming people who are watching as well via the uh, the web. And welcome to our young people. Now today we have uh, something special, some kids' church activities upstairs. So any of our children, if you'd like to join in those, then uh, you can just make your way up there because there's some special kids' church stuff happening for you right now. So, but it's great to see people live again um, during this COVID craziness that we've been experiencing. It's um, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I feel like, you know, I'm just all shut away and disconnected from people. So it's so great to be able to come and worship and, um, you know, be in the presence of our God and in the presence of each other as we do that today. Today we are continuing our study our next instalment of the Breaking Bread series that we've been going through. And today, today's section is about a, a childhood story that uh, all of us who, who went to church as kids, uh, we learnt this, this story as part of our Christian journey growing up, but maybe never really understood the implications of it. It's the story of Zacchaeus, or Zacchaeus, or however you want to pronounce it. So I hope today as we dig into this that you'll be able to go beyond the story of a short man and a tree and learn something profound about God and about yourself. So welcome those sitting in your lounge rooms at home watching this on live stream. Just sit back and enjoy the ride as we dive into this actually hard-hitting message from the story of Zacchaeus. Right up front, we just want to go to the big idea we get my, all my technology working right. Here we go. Okay, so the, uh, the big idea for us today is Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And the takeaway which I want you to take with you today is the question, how are you seeking lost people and behaving towards them? Let's dive right into our text today, and it's found in Luke chapter 19, Luke the 19th chapter, and we're going to be reading verses 1 to 10, which is the story of Zacchaeus. Luke 19, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by his name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your house today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. 
I was uh, eight years old when I had my first experience as an entrepreneur. It happened like this. My dad was a local pastor in a small Victorian country town. And in his church, he had a man who used to work at the Eater Production Factory. Now, for those of you who don't know, Eater produced um, packaged nuts and fruits and chocolate-coated products and things like that. And we inherited some boxes full of product seconds or discontinued lines and things uh, at our house. And um, my brother and I had access to these when we wanted. So one Sunday, when mum and dad were away, I'm not sure where they were, but we were there by ourselves, my brother and I, and we were left to our own devices. And I suddenly got a brilliant idea. I decided to set up a makeshift shop in my dad's shed. And uh, I began selling the products to the neighbourhood kids. It was a brilliant idea. It was great. I made a killing. I mean, I was raking it in. My weekly allowance back then was 20 cents a week. And um, wasn't even big for back then, I tell you. But I was making two or three times that amount in it, one transaction. And by the end of the day, when mum and dad finally come home, I had scored big time. And I felt very pleased with myself. But that's when the trouble started. Because around dinner time, some of the neighbourhood parents started visiting our house, complaining to my mum and dad. Because apparently, unknown to me, their kids, to get the money to come and shop at my garage shop, were raiding their piggy banks and also their parents' drawers to, uh, to steal money to be able to spend at my shop. And uh, the parents were upset. So, hardly my problem, you would say, and you'd be right. But the parents didn't see it that way. Apparently, I was the problem because I now had their money. Well, the upshoot of it all was that I had to pay back all of the money. But the kids had already eaten the products. So my first little foray into the business world that day taught me two things. One, there is no justice in this world. They got all the products and their money back. The second thing that I learnt that day is that I learnt there is an alluring desire of the almighty dollar and it can be a trap for the unwary. Well, Zacchaeus, a little bit of his background. He was a Jew. Uh, the root name of his word, uh, Zacchaeus, is ironically, in the Hebrew, it means innocent. But Zacchaeus obviously had drive and determination. He was entrepreneurial. You couldn't rise to the job as the head revenue collector for the government without having that drive. He was... He was the, the Bible says he was the chief tax collector, which means that he stood at the top of the collection pyramid, taking a cut and commission from all the other tax collectors from the taxes that they collected. He was therefore a very wealthy man. But uh, many of his fellow citizens considered his wealth was gained dishonestly. Now, this cultural background to Zacchaeus is important as we look a little bit later on and the crowd's reaction to Jesus' encounter with him. Where he was was the city of Jericho. Jericho was an affluent and prominent trade route. It, it made the role of tax and revenue collector for that area very important to the, the Roman government. Jericho was a well-known toll place in Palestine. 
there was a lot of goods passing from east to west between Judea and Perea. This important Judean frontier city was the port of entry for all traffic crossing from the River Jordan over to the east. Somewhere along the way, as Zacchaeus grew in this area, the allure of chasing that almighty dollar was too much for him. He had a desire for wealth, and with his profession, he easily grew that wealth and grew a lot of it. Looking back at my own experience as a young child, my first little entrepreneurial experience in the shed shop, it was nearly my undoing. Later in life, as that desire drove me and as I started to chase the dollar, it became all-consuming until one day I woke up and I realised that my life was all about things and that I didn't care about people. I realised that everything I was working for in life, things, stuff, wealth, money, was all just going to be fuel for the biggest bonfire the world has ever seen. As the writer of Ecclesiastes puts it, I realised it was all meaningless. It was then that I made a crossroad decision and decided to give God a chance. For Zacchaeus, he was on a similar road. The desire for wealth and the accompanying power led him to a profession that was despised by his fellow Jewish citizens. As revenue collector for the government, which happened to be the hated foreign invaders, the Roman government, he was hated by his fellow Jews. Because of that, he was an outcast. He was viewed as a traitor. Even though he was Jewish, they, they put him as an outer, no, no better than, than people of other nations or other um, religions or other races. No better than the lame or the sick or the, the Gentiles. The story of Zacchaeus shows us, however, how God views and treats people that we treat as outcasts. As we read and understand what's behind this story, it is a powerful and compelling story because it helps us see humanity through God's eyes rather than through our own. <clears throat> Some time back I was speaking to a parent and they were upset because their child had done something wrong at school and they'd been punished for it. Um, they weren't upset by the, the, the fact that they were disciplined, the child was disciplined, but by the fact that they felt the staff were always seeing the child in its bad light, not in its good. But that's human nature. We naturally zero in <clears throat> on the bad that we see in people. But God is exactly the opposite. When he looks at you and me, he doesn't see the bad, but rather he sees the good. And not just the good that you have in you now, but he sees the good that you have the potential to grow in the future. He sees your possibilities. Remember our big idea. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So let's dig into the story of Zacchaeus a bit more. Let's look through the verses here. Verse 5, it says, When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Jesus invited himself to come to his house. Now that was a big thing because it showed acceptance, especially in the culture of that day. To eat with someone <clears throat> showed your acceptance of them. 
The term often used to refer to this custom was breaking bread. And that showed that Jesus accepted Zacchaeus. Jesus' stay with the tax collector at his home was a necessity because it pictures what his ministry is all about, to lead to God those whom others have given up on. To call those who, like the tax collector Levi Matthew, who became a disciple of Jesus, to call those who needed to repent. Jesus' mission is to reclaim the prodigals and justify the humble. <clears throat> Continuing on in verses 6 and 7, the story, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. This is what they said. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Not just an ordinary sinner, but a notorious sinner. That's a way, way worse sort of sinner. And they were not happy. They knew Zacchaeus's past. They knew who he was, how he had been. The crowd's displeasure with Jesus' actions shows the bigoted and unaccepting attitudes that they harboured. But like the Pharisees who had given up on the sinful woman in the story back in Luke 7, so this crowd had written off Zacchaeus. But Jesus does not write off those who remain open to God. Jesus' visit with Zacchaeus reveals his acceptance of the tax collector. He does not worry about the impression on his character that this association makes because his priority is to associate closely enough with the lost that they may come to know the grace of God. Jewish society had stricken Zacchaeus out of the book of respectability. It had branded him as a sinner and therefore ineligible for the rewards that the Jews considered automatically came to all literal descendants of Father Abraham. But in language that everyone could understand, Jesus now reads him into the book of divine favour. In verse 8, it says, Meanwhile Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people in their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Zacchaeus expresses his appreciation of Jesus' acceptance of him by declaring his intent to be a different man. Because of his new relationship with God, he will do two things. Half of his possessions will now go to the poor, and those he is wrong will receive restitution at four times the amount taken. He is aware of his sin, and he desires to right the wrongs that he has done. Now, both these actions are quite significant. They stand out in light of the cultural expectations of the day. This is, this is very interesting. The rules of behaviour in his culture were that when a pe person confessed to a fraud and made voluntary restitution, the Torah required him to return the amount stolen plus 20%. However, if the, if the thief was apprehended, he was caught, he had to pay back to the victim double. But, and here's the interesting point, a man stealing what is deemed essential for life and showing no pity was required to pay back fourfold, which was the most extreme penalty. Now Zacchaeus, fully repentant, 
not only acknowledged the heartlessness and cruelty of his behaviour, but he voluntarily imposed upon himself the biggest restitution required by the Torah for, for such acts, four times as much. The amount Zacchaeus promised to restore was the best of evidence that he had experienced a change of heart. Now, as we dig deeper into the story of Zacchaeus, <clears throat> and this is where it goes beyond the, the little story that I learned as a kid of a short little man climbing up a tree to see Jesus. There's two major themes that come out from this story. The first is about Zacchaeus's repentance and change. You see, it's not just a matter of paying the money back, even though he, he did pay a lot more than what the, Lord, uh, the law required of him. That was just the tip of the iceberg. You see, God had changed him on the inside. He now saw things and people differently, and this caused the change of his behaviour. You can't just wake up one day and just decide to change like that when you get out of bed. Only God can change in that sort of way. Only God can change a person's heart like that. Giving away half of one's possessions, which, which Jesus commends him for here, shows that the other texts where Jesus calls for people to sell everything, they serve as a rhetorical way of stating that one should see their possessions as under God's stewardship. The resources we possessed are the Lord's, and he guides us in how we are to use them and how we are to help others. That Zacchaeus understands this call is demonstrated by his giving to the poor and his intention to make restitution. Such giving as Zacchaeus intends is not required by God's law, but it does reflect a heart that's given over to God. Zacchaeus that day had a heart change. And Jesus responds to this in verses 9 and 10. He says, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. And then our big idea, our big theme for the day, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And that is the second big theme of this story of Zacchaeus. It actually is the theme of the gospel. Jesus came to seek and save the lost this statement shows the characteristic emphasis on Jesus as a friend of the poor, the oppressed, and the outcasts of society. You notice that as you read right through the New Testament, all the stories of Jesus, he's consistently being a friend of the poor, the oppressed, and the outcasts of society. This text reveals how God responds to the humble and to those who recognize that the way they have walked is wrong. His commitment to sinners has been affirmed throughout this Gospel of Luke. God reaches out to accept the sinner who discovers that he or she can turn to God, despite what others have said. Zacchaeus demonstrates how one should respond to the Gospel of Jesus. After recognising his failures, he not only confesses them publicly, but seeks to make appropriate restitution for the wrongs he has done. Moreover, and I want to share this quote from uh, the NIV application commentary where it says he, Zacchaeus, embarks on a new, more giving approach to life. The transformation of, of his heart 
in openness toward God expresses itself, itself in openness towards needy people. You catch that? The transformation of his heart in openness towards God expresses itself in openness towards needy people. Such faith is not an intellectual exercise. It is a change of worldview. That's really profound. Zacchaeus' worldview, the way he saw people, had changed because of his encounter with Jesus. How is your worldview today? You know, this is the only recorded occasion on which Jesus invited himself to anybody's home. I'm not sure how, you know, you would react if I, after our service today, if I rocked up and said, I'm, by the way, I'm coming to your house for lunch. Uh, yeah, I may not get, get a nice lunch, but anyway. Jesus just invited himself. And Zacchaeus was overwhelmed, absolutely overwhelmed, that Jesus would do that for him. The third application of the story of Zacchaeus is the lesson for us. How should we seek and treat lost people? We are warned by this passage, the story of Zacchaeus, that how our community judges us in our associations is not necessarily how God judges. If Jesus has used the crowd standard of association, he would never have addressed Zacchaeus. But this episode is one of the most important accounts of the essence of his ministry that we must reach out to people. The church must become the means for restoring the lost and rejected by seeking them out, not by remaining isolated for them. The second part of the application for us is... If you're here today listening or if you're listening via live stream, perhaps you may feel that you are in the shoes of Zacchaeus. If you feel that you are a, a, a Zacchaeus, if you feel that you, know, you have not made that commitment to follow Jesus yet, then all the things that Jesus said and did for Zacchaeus, he offers to you. Jesus wants to come to your home and to sit with you. I still remember the names of these two girls, to my shame. It was my first year of state high school. Me, I was a pastor's kid in a new town, the new kid at a new school yet again. It had become a regular thing in my life. And there was two girls at the school that I particularly remember, not because of anything particularly about themselves, but because of how they were treated. The first one, Anne, was from a migrant family. They were called New Australians, and therefore they were ostracised by us, the slightly less newer Australians. The juvenile boys in year seven at that school decided that Anne had girl germs. And they, they would make jokes about her at her expense. And they would do things like, Silly things like, you know, touching her with their ruler and then passing on the germs to the other guys. The other girl, Irene, was a new kid to school and she only came halfway through the year when all the social relationships had already been established in that year seven class, the first year of high school. By that time, I too was almost part of the furniture. I'm not sure why, 
I don't know why these things happen. Who decides who is in and who is out anyway? I don't know. But somehow it was decided by the group that Irene was out. And so she was ostracised and outcast by her school society. And the same things that were done to Anne were also done to her. The immature behaviour of adolescent boys. But I was a Christian, the son of a pastor. Everybody in school knew it because I was different. In fact, they even nicknamed me Preacher Man and Reverend. They didn't know that they were being prophetic. But as the taunting and ridicule went on towards these girls, I did nothing. Sure, I was a guy and back then, Year 7 girls you know, were not to be hanging out with by Year 7 boys. But it was actually worse. Sometimes I followed suit and joined in with some of the pranks. As Irene would walk past the pavement, the guys would run to their lockers screaming, trying to, to get away from the girl germs in, in like a mock fear. And a couple of times I did it too. Childish behaviour. But we were really still kids. We only started that journey, that road into adolescence and adulthood. We didn't know any better, or did we? Then one day, after another prank, I saw Irene standing in the corner by herself, the tears rolling softly down her cheek. And I felt the dagger of guilt go through me. How cruel, how unlike Jesus we were behaving. Well, peas of a pod stick together. And um, so it was that Irene became friends with Anne. The two ostracised ones found companionship with each other. But in the many years that have flown under the bridge since that time, I still vividly remember those incidents. And I've thought about how many people have been similarly judged and then excluded, ostracised, shunned and abused by others, by governments even by churches, by politicians, and even by other Christians. And what have we done? What have I done? Because this is for me too. I know that Jesus, I know what Jesus would have done. We have examples of what Jesus would have done and how he acted. But we, as we see this today, bringing it on to the present, where is our voice? Where is our voice as a church? Where is our voice as a professed follower of Jesus? Just this week, the killer who massacred those people in Christchurch was sentenced. He murdered innocent people because they were different to him. A lack of tolerance, a lack of acceptance of others. Are we any better in our day? Are we any better in our day-to-day -day interactions with people? The story of Zacchaeus summarises many key themes that the amazing Gospel of Luke has highlighted. But the most important is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. And it's a mission that now belongs to the church as his body. One of the errors that the pious can make is to separate themselves from the world in such a way that they lose contact with sinners. Usually, two factors feed into this isolation. One is 
They have a healthy desire not to associate with things that would destroy their moral integrity. And the second is a subtle but deadly feeling of superiority. So that they, you know, somehow we feel we are inherently better than others. Much like the attitude of the Jews that Paul condemns in Romans 2. This second element in the equation can squeeze out our ability to empathise with a sinner's plight. It forgets that our blessing is the result of God's gracious work within us. It's not inherent in our character. And we too are all sinners, just as much in need of a saviour as anyone else. We are no different. As a true disciple of Jesus, when we commit to seek lost and needy people, we do something profound and challenging by simply just loving our neighbour, as Jesus said. We should be willing to risk a moment or two of discomfort for the sake of getting to know those who need Jesus. As disciples of Jesus, though we may not be able to answer all the big questions of life, we can care for people as a friend and we can model Jesus' love in the process. That willingness just to spend time, to talk and sometimes just to hang out together, to be a friend, provides far more answers for people than we realise because it shows Jesus to them. This is the initiative we must take to seek the lost. And another thing, when, as it happened with Zacchaeus, our faith is transformed, we respond differently to our own failures and weaknesses. Natural human nature tells us not to admit our wrongs and to cover up any signs of weakness. And the natural inclination is we become defensive. And this, this attitude is modelled to us by our politicians, by church leaders, and even by teachers and parents. Generally speaking, people are seriously lacking in integrity. We make excuse, excuses for our own behaviour instead of owning it. Even in the perceived little things. I remember an incident that happened years ago that has stood out in my mind along these lines. We were, I was a young pastor. We just started a time away at ministers' meetings and we had just gotten underway in the first meeting when a senior pastor who had only just arrived in that conference walked in late, making big, loud apologies for his lateness. He explained that he was in a car accident on the way. We were all, of course, very sympathetic and asked him you know, how he was, was he okay, and how was his car, and... And how was the other guy? After fussing over him and, and that got a little bit too much and after all the, the, uh, the in-depth questions, he eventually admitted that, well, he didn't have the accident. It was another car, but he was held up by the traffic. He'd made the excuse sound much more dramatic than it actually was to elicit a sympathetic response and to cover up the fact that he was just late. He didn't get himself organised enough. He didn't allow enough time for the trip and he just left too late. And of course, we all saw through it and saw the inauthenticity and the lack of integrity. Why is it that we as humans are often so inauthentic and we lack integrity and we just want to try and make ourselves look better to others when just by being honest, we actually look better? Why do we try to make excuses for ourselves and just instead of owning up? Sorry, I'm late. No excuses, no smokescreen, no bull story. And that's just a little thing. 
and we do it with much bigger things. Seldom do we see in the behaviour of ourselves and others the honesty to act with integrity and admit error or past wrongs. And this is compounded from individual to groups. I've seen it in the workplace. I've seen it in churches. I've seen it in marriage and relationships. I've seen it in our governments, both past and present. When was the last time you saw a politician admit that they personally were wrong? Perhaps there's some this week that could have done that. Well, I've actually seen a little bit of it during COVID, uh, and it's been refreshing. When lives are on the line, things suddenly get very real. We can never go back and make up for past wrongs, especially if it wasn't us who committed them. But we can have empathy like Jesus, and we can say sorry that it happened. One of the most painful things we do in a relationship, any relationship, whether it's an individual one, whether it's a corporate one, whether it's a countrywide one, one of the most painful things is to commit a wrong and then pretend it never happened or did not do any damage. Such blindness builds up resentment and eats away at relationships. It brings mistrust and bitterness, which grows into animosity and to hate if it's left unchecked. We see that in the world today. We see that in our own country today. We see that in the news today. We see it in past wrongs from governments, from churches, from sports people and celebrities, and from you and I on the street. We see it in families today with the staggering amounts, staggering amounts of reports of domestic violence and abuse. The worst is when we see it from people who profess to be disciples of Jesus, who dare to speak in his name while cowardly or ignorantly rejecting and ignoring those less fortunate ones that he came to save. Acting with integrity, admitting wrong, asking for forgiveness and trying to make restitution are like a spring shower that can open up the possibility of a fresh start. I'll say that again. Acting with integrity, admitting wrong, asking for forgiveness and trying to make restitution are like a spring shower that can open up the possibility of a fresh new start. And Jesus is all about fresh starts. That's what God offers to us. That's what we need to offer to others. That is why Zacchaeus' desire to make restitution meets Jesus' commendation. He, he commends him for it, not as a requirement for the tax collector's salvation, no, but as an indication that his heart recognised that a wrong needed acknowledging and fixing. Here, attitude and resources combined to show how clearly Zacchaeus recognised his wrong. If there was any doubt that Zacchaeus meant what he said, his wallet spoke volumes. So as we sum up the little story of Zacchaeus, what was the big idea? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. That's what he was all about. And the takeaway for us is, how am I, how are you seeking lost people? How are you treating them? Your actions speak louder than your words. How are you being Jesus to those whom Jesus came to seek and to save? And the second takeaway, if you see yourself as a Zacchaeus, will you accept Jesus' invitation to come and meet 
him at your house. Jesus showed us in how he lived that all people are equal. There are no levels or hierarchy in his kingdom. He taught that the first will be last and the last will be first. He went out of his way to reach and show love to people that society had shunned. The unlovely, the outcast, the unfortunate, the unworthy, the poor, the sick, the weak, the disabled. Those from other nations or races or colours and the women. He showed love to lepers, shunned just because of their disease. He showed love to a blind man, shunned because of his disability. He showed love to a widow, shunned because of her misfortune. He showed love to a Samaritan woman, shunned because of her race, because of her gender, and because of her checkered past. These all were seen as second-class citizens, as not fully worthy, in short, as not worth saving. And the religious leaders of the day structured their religion to accommodate their bigoted and exclusive views. The temple, as in their church, was structured so that none of these people could even get in. They were to stay on the outside, in the courtyard, but they were not allowed inside, close to God. Even their own Jewish women were segregated off, keeping separate in their own area, just because they were female. The story of Zacchaeus is another one of those stories where Jesus saves one of society's outcasts and tries to show them what God is like. He tries to show them how God sees people. He also tried to reach others as well. He tried to reach the rich young ruler, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, others who were deemed more worthy. But they were often less receptive. And it was like he was showing us that God was for all, that he died for all. And by saving the most unworthy in our eyes, we just might get the message that really in God's eyes, there is no one unworthy. We are all equal. He made the unlovely lovable. He made the excluded included. He made the unworthy worthy. This morning, if you sitting here in our church or sitting at home there watching, if you have ever felt unloved, excluded or unworthy, let me say this clearly. From Jesus, the life he lived on earth, and from the words of the scripture, that that is not God. And if anyone has ever made you feel any of those things, they are not God's people. There's a passage over in 1 John 4, verse 7. It says, Let us continue to, one, to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Love works both ways. Even when we are fighting for justice, we should do it with love. That's what Jesus did. He never tried to get his way through force. There's uh, In the little book we've been studying in our Connect group, Acts of Our Gentle God, I love this, uh, this quote. Um, it says, God is engaged in an intense conflict with the most formidable enemy imaginable. Yet God is absolutely committed 
to fight this battle on our behalf without resorting to the use of force at any time or under any circumstances. People wanted Jesus to use power to overcome the enemies. The enemies of freedom and justice overcome them by force and power. Even his own disciples wanted this. They tried to force him to use force. But that is not God's way. And you know what? If the shoe had been on the other foot, as far as the Jews were concerned, if the Jews were in power and the Romans were subjugated to them, would they have acted any differently? Human nature and human history says no. Jesus is calling us to a different way. He's calling us to grow new eyesight, to see people as he sees them and to value people as he values them. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. Jesus gave him new eyes. That's why his response was what it was. He had to reach out and give to those less fortunate, especially to those who he had a hand in hurting. James 127 says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Caring for the outcast. Caring for those who are less fortunate. That's what the Bible says true religion is. In contrast, true religion is not about belonging to the right religion or code. It's not having worked out all the right set of beliefs, because we'll always be learning. It is about loving as Jesus loved. The story of Zacchaeus teaches us all this. No longer can we see this little story through our childhood eyes as just a story about a little short man who climbed up a tree just so he could see what Jesus looked like. Remember the big idea? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The takeaway for us today is how are we seeking lost people and how are we treating them? And if you are a Zacchaeus, will you accept Jesus' invitation to come home? And as we always sum it up with, we sum it up with love God, love others, love yourself, and always in what you do and how you act, be kind. God bless you.